Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous-led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at IndigenousVision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode. You are officially listening to episode 101 of the Indigenous Vision podcast, or Ivy podcast, as we like to call it. Thank you for being here for another special episode. My name is Melissa Spence. I am one of the hosts and your producer, and I'm here with the ED of Ivy, Suta Collinglast. How are you today? I'm doing really good. I just went out to try, like assess another working dog, potential working dog, and I don't think I can out-train his uh, destroying tendencies. <laughs> the dog but, work continues. Right, I know. But I wanted to like, I wanted to talk about cultural appropriation this episode, and I wanted to bring up this, what is it, a nine-minute episode uh, from Montana PBS, and they're questioning what is culture and can it even be appropriated? They call it a theoretical minefield, but I almost That's... vehemently disagree. I think culture can very easily be appropriated if it's not yours. Right. I guess the definition cultural appropriation is the act of taking or using things from a culture that is not your own, especially without showing that you understand that culture, usually from an oppressed culture, right? Like indigenous culture. A lot of people tend to get it mixed up with cultural appreciation or tend to use that term to describe. I remember working with a lady in Phoenix and the topic of mascots came up at work and she was like, oh, all of these sports fans were just appreciating the Native American culture for the, I believe it was the Braves or one of those headdress logos. And like, we all kind of got quiet because we're kind of considered a quote unquote woke environment. And she was the one who was maybe be a little bit conservative. And uh, one guy piped up and was like, that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> and I stood there and I was like, thank you for saying that. So it's, it's really murky for a lot of people who don't understand, but from us, it is quite clear what cultural appropriation truly is. Yeah. And exploitation of that appropriation which is usually uh somebody yeah taking that something from an oppressed culture and then exploiting that as their own like inspired it's inspired by somebody else but i made it and i'm gonna make 500 dollars off of it and i don't care that the grandma i saw and stole the design from is very poor and still sitting on the side of the road still trying to sell her actual native art for 75 percent less than that so yeah that pbs special that you're describing just sounds like a bunch of mental gymnastics to mm -hmm. talk themselves out of cultural appropriation which in fact is what they're really doing right right exactly so Hmm, just tisk Montana PBS. What <laughs> like, is up with that? I know, right? Yes, culture is individual. It's unique. It's regional. It's um, by ethnicity. It's by, you know, we, we talk about it in our culture humility trainings and there's so many subcultures. So those subcultures are different than like language and linguistic cultures. 
those subcultures of music and plants and dogs and being those, you know, dog mom, plant mom, that's much different from the joining in of, say, a, a sacred society within an, a tribal nation. And then utilizing, maybe you steal songs from there and you record them and you release them and you sell them as Blackfoot inspired songs and that's completely wrong right you can't and everybody realizes that you can't steal somebody else's music and you can't steal somebody else's art but for some reason when we get to like indigenous designs for some reason that's where stealing art and stealing music becomes acceptable for the general world population and then you can be inspired by them right but but when it gets into like native american arts and crafts act and Native American Graves and Repatriation Act. It's protecting a people who were almost erased from the face of the earth. And if you are inspired by anything of those cultures, then you should lift up the people doing that art and and, um, exhibiting that culture instead of uh, borrowing from what you like of it and then doing it as your own. But I'm, I'm a different person. You know, I have... Like I, ha- I have a value system that is, it doesn't always benefit me, right? <laughs> My value system is based on a reciprocal respect for nature and the environment. And so that respect kind of like spills over for people and their, their loves and passions, you know? So yeah, it's, it's individual. And I guess if you're raised in a regional culture where, there is no like ethnic culture and you've kind of got like this American dream culture, then everything is inspired by somebody else's culture. Even when you go to Ikea, (laughs) it's like Swedish culture there, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a slippery slope, right? Like I used to love drawing henna on myself and then I felt like I was culturally appropriating where that came from. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, where's the line where I draw because I'm not trying to say that I'm a part of this culture. I'm just enjoying the art on my skin. I've also had people question me about my dreadlocks over the years. Mm-hmm. I've I've had to like deeply reflect on myself and some of the things that I do, wondering, mm-hmm. is it cultural appropriation of other cultures because I grew up in such a quote-unquote diverse atmosphere and environment? We know with a lot of uh, immigrants, a lot of um, refugees coming to Canada. I grew up in like a, a really big pot of different cultures that I've just always been exposed to. And over the years, I've come to love so many different types of cultures. So when it came to henna and I thought I could draw henna on my hand, but not offer it as a service, obviously. Right. And then I've heard of people exploiting yoga over the years. But then I read up on the Native American Arts and Craft Act that was implemented in 1990. And it said that you pretty much have to be claiming that whatever you're selling, whatever craft that you're selling, or you aren't claiming that it's made by the Indigenous or Native American people. So I think how people get around that is by saying it's their own design are not made by Native Americans, even though it kind of looks like it. They maybe they've altered it a bit. There was a lady that I just shared with you on Instagram who's charging a lot for dream catchers that don't look traditionally like dream catchers, but they are obviously dream catchers. She's altered them, kind of meshed in the macrame uh, art in that and created these really elaborate style, non-traditional dream catchers, but she's still calling them dreamers and selling them for hundreds of dollars. 
They've also got aspects of other cultures like Indian culture from India. There's a bit of, you know, Southeast Asian culture all mixed in. So she's grabbing from three different types of cultures, at least creating these craft items, not saying they're made by Native American people or anything like that, but still using the obvious influence and selling them for hundreds of dollars unchecked. And I checked out her page. This is just one of probably thousands of people. And sure enough, the whole page was full of just repeat, repeat cultural appropriation, all kinds of cultures blended into this made up spiritual thing that she's created and looped a lot of people into. That's so interesting. You know, I was trying to think like, so there's a teepee linings that my grandpa gave me mm. and it's our family design. And the symbol is like, it's a triangular um, symbol looking thing with two, two triangles put together. It kind of looks like a little bow, but it represents a butterfly. And that's our, that's our, like our family design. And that is kept within a family and transferred to individuals like down the line. So I probably have a niece or a nephew that I'm going to give those to and, or my son, you know, like, but I'll probably like, that's something I can gift, right? Like I can gift that to my sisters and I can give that to anyone in my family. Cause it's a family design. And so people who are old school, like elders would recognize me and say, Oh, you know, your aunt had a dress just like that and used those same colors and the same design. And that's, you know, it's, it's tribal, it's clannish, it's, it's familial. Nobody else can use those, not even in the tribe. I mean, they could, but they would usually be in a different clan or band or a like a different nation. Those, those designs are individual, unique, and custom to a family's power, essentially. Yeah. All of that disappears if somebody from China just looks at my a picture of my TP liners on Facebook and then is like, I'm going to make a t-shirt out of that. Right. And then they make, you know, how many thousands or hundreds of dollars. And well, last time I counted, I had like 28 nieces and nephews and um, none of us are above or like barely right around the, the poverty level, my siblings and I, so none of us are well off. And so that would hurt. I, that would really hurt. And it wouldn't just hurt like as in an ego thing of like somebody stole my property, it would feel like my property, but then they're selling it to benefit them. And I don't know, I guess that, like it's jealousy, right? It's, it's how could, how could they steal my design and sell it and then support their family for generations when, man, I have a lot of babies in my family who could use, you know, school snacks and shoes and winter coats. <laughs> There's so much to unpack. And I find myself really taking the time to not go after people, but I do practice, practice with grace, how to acknowledge what they're doing and just point out what they're doing in a graceful way, using cultural humility again, because before I would just fly off the handle. But I really mm -hmm. take these moments now to kind of point out to this person, which I did nicely over the weekend, was like, listen, where did you find the inspiration to, you know, take all this art that you quote unquote create and then label it as unique and one of a kind and original, which it truly is not really. I mean, it's unique because you made it, but the design itself is a dream catcher. 
Like, do you have no connection to your own ancestors or lineage? Can you even see what I'm trying to describe to you right now? That the fact that you are absorbing other cultures and flipping it, essentially, like you're flipping culture, like how you flip a house and then flipping it to benefit yourself. And I got no response. So that's, uh, well, that seemed <laughs> seemed pretty nice, you know, but like for people who who are living like that and exploiting and they do feel that sting of like, is this right? Is it not right? Like she would just ignore you if it's too much. To yeah. Handle. So and just keep selling, I guess. But why would you want to buy an expensive knockoff when there's so much beautiful, cheaper native, actual native art? actual dream catchers made by Ojibwe and Anishinaabe people who have the the story of it and there's a really good story to it and I don't know it but I know that it's not a Blackfoot story and I know that there's it might be like quill work where quill work is is an art form that is supposed to include a transfer so me and my traditional little girl self would be like well, the dream catcher is actually a, a spiritual tool, something to help you with your dreams. And, and that only like my assumptions err on the side of caution. Like I'm always fearful to upset a balance that we can't even see. Right. Like that's, that's the world totally. I'm living in. And, and so like, I don't, if I don't know what the symbol means, I don't want it on me. If I don't have the appropriate transfer and and the for sure right to do something i don't do it and that's quill work and that's making dream catchers and that's and they had us do it i went to this um i don't know if it was like church run or school run but it was a summer school program and they had us make it must have been church run because we had a choice between making god's eyes and dream catchers and so they had the hoop there for us. And then they had the sticks that you can run the yarn through. And even when I was making those, I chose the dream catcher because that seemed native. <laughs> and I was like, cool. And out of the two, I would much rather prefer to make the dream catcher. But I did wonder, like, it didn't, it didn't feel right to me because I didn't know the story. And it's kind of like the jingle dress I was talking to you earlier about. The jingle dress is a powerful tool, a healing tool that's worn by native women across the continent. And it originated also in Ojibwe culture and was dispensed and given the right from the dreamer that this dress needs to be out there on the dance floor and that it will heal. Ooh, that gives me chills when I think about it but but I got chills when I said and it will heal when people hear the sound of it so it's like a healing sound maybe that comes with it and then also the mindset of the dancers I think I come from an older school of dancing where uh, we weren't allowed to do our hair fancy if we're traditional type things and so I was also told to keep my mind right and act right while I'm on the dance floor so that's like it was really looked down on to be inebriated in any way while you're dancing out there because how you dance out there in the state that you're in affects your community and so if I go out there all trashed and I'm like supposed to be the, the dance is supposed to be a prayer or a hope for healing for myself my family and my community like yeah I believe in that stuff it adds value to my life and so 
a lot of people don't have those same values. We come from the American dream culture, which really it goes into our cultural humility trainings where a lot of the conversation starts because we start with what is culture and what is your culture. And so many of our participants are so quick to say, I don't have a culture. And so we have to start very basically from the think about the things you do, think about the groups you're part of. Are they ethnic groups? Are they cultural groups? Are they entertainment related? So we we go with the easy ones. Like what's your genre of music? Are you a heavy metal crowd? Are you a punk rocker? Are you sitting in the grass, like strumming your acoustic guitar? Like those are all different subcultures and you can be a plant mom and a dog mom and all kinds of awesome things. So those subcultures we start with because everybody has a culture. And if your culture is the American culture, then you just say that. And you shouldn't feel shame about saying that I have no culture um, that relates to my ethnic heritage, because at one point in America, society and all the individuals in it really looked down on Italian immigrants and Irish people. And so a lot of Italian and Irish people said they were white, Caucasian, or just uh, generic European, so that they didn't get discriminated against. So a lot of people lost their culture when their grandparents immigrated and chose that for safety. And so then we get these classes full of, I don't have culture people. And we have to think uh, like dialogue through with them and think back to the dishes and the food. And those are usually the things that hang on with people is like, oh my goodness, we have Jewish origins and we make this every year. We don't practice like Hanukkah or anything, but we make the food. And so it's really interesting to start thinking about cultures. The colonization that happened here has really wiped out a lot of people's spiritual connections. And I think that's what a lot of these people are grasping for, right? They're grasping to fill this void inside of them that was severed maybe generations ago. So they culture shop and they find these spiritually, like people like us, they're like, wow, they're so connected to the earth. And wow, what they're doing is so peaceful and amazing. I want to be a part of this, not realizing that they could potentially be doing harm if they start to capitalize on it. And I think what a recommendation I would make is to this, specifically to the lady who's selling the dreamers, quote unquote, is acknowledge that you are inspired by indigenous designs. Put that on your website. All of my art is inspired by indigenous culture, specifically the Ojibwe people. Maybe give a little excerpt on what dream catchers are. Talk about how you've been inspired. Maybe donate a small percentage every now and again to an organization. If you if you really want to continue making these types of arts and crafts that are visually and quite obviously indigenous looking, then I think that's the way to go. If you if you cannot stop yourself from indulging in what you're doing, at least acknowledge and take some time to really think about that. And maybe try to connect with your with your lineage eventually. I think think that's beautiful. And I think that's what I find so interesting and is when we get uh, European descent people in our trainings, and they really know a lot about themselves, like, oh, actually, my, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And my, my dad was the first immigrant to the US country. So I actually have a lot of family back in, you know, 
a different country and they know a lot about their culture. But I like how you brought up colonization because native people and indigenous people weren't the only people colonized in the world and they didn't practice on us first. They practiced on European descent people (laughs) first and they perfected colonization by um, exterminating and assimilating all the, the pagan people turning them over to Christianity and Catholicism and um, obeying a king and queen. Then they burned all their witches and they brought that practice over here too and burned all their, you know, medicinal practitioners and earth people, earth knowledgeable people and people who carried the stories of this. And so I think a lot of that went underground. I know a lot of Armenian people. I mean, that's another ethnic group right like they hold on tight to their earth-based cultures but then it's also looked down a lot in the gypsy community and and there's so many derogatory terms towards them and that group and and their practices and so it's really it's funny how people like want to and I really like the word you used again culture shop all these other cultures but not go back to their own culture and start exploring that because it's almost the same starting point. You don't know anything about native culture. You find it beautiful though. I bet there's art within your own culture. If you go back far enough that you will find just as beautiful and it would be more appropriate. And I would learn something from you that was actually valuable instead of a kind of like a visual lie and a hodgepodge of pan culturalism. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. it. Another thing that I get kind of, um, I think about a lot is my tarot cards because those are adapted from a millennia of all types of diviners and spiritualists. And I know it combines a lot of numerology, a lot of astrology, and then of course this, the creation of all those cards all together, but it's something I'm super mindful of. And I've always been mindful of um, the tarot cards. And then I was gifted runes. So spiritual items I've been gifted throughout my lifetime from different types of cultures, but I've always been super respectful and I never try and like make a quick buck off of them, which is, which is where I would definitely draw the line. But I do dabble in a couple of other cultures when it comes to spiritual items, tarot cards. Yeah. You know? And that, and those, those tools also are like, like, I don't know the origin of tarot cards, but I know I really enjoy listening to readings and I like to know what, what they mean, those cards. And I really like the commonalities. Hinduism is similar. I looked into, is it Tibetan Buddhism and Hinduism has some similarities to Blackfootism. If you hodgepodge and mix those together and then just throw away things that are probably really important to those cultures. But yeah, you can hodgepodge a a mislabeled kind of Blackfoot something culture, (laughs) but it wouldn't be authentic. And who knows what kind of spirits you would be calling in. But I like it because the celestial beings and the position of the planets when you're born and then how they relate to you in your life is also Blackfoot. And so like if an elder were to say to me, oh, you're thinking like Kukumikisum, like the moon, moonlight, we call her, then I would feel unbalanced. And I would also think about which story about Kukumikisum am I embodying? Am I is it the time where she like 
was led with her anger and she was blind and she couldn't even like she chased her children across the sky to catch them and teach them a lesson and or or am I embodying you know the other balance of of not being able to see the sun and am I am I too heavy and not feeling like my son inside you know all of these all of these have a spirit and a character and I feel like that helps make you who you are and you can definitely be leading with one more than the other and be imbalanced so that's where I I see it and I kind of speaking on that note like talk about cultural things like astronomy and stuff like that is for the first time I looked out into the morning sky when was I when was it it was um couple weeks ago I went and slept out and I just was sleeping on the side of the hill and I had a really good view of the eastern horizon so I opened my tailgate and I was sleeping in the back of my truck opened my tailgate and I started making my coffee there on the tailgate and I I was way earlier than the sun it was just the morning star and just like a little thin strip of red and for the first time in my 40 years I said wow are you beautiful And that was something I had culturally been prevented from saying about any individual star because I almost got traumatized as a little girl that one of our women were taken by a star and married because she admired his beauty. And then he came for her. Ever since I heard that story as a child, I have never said an individual star was beautiful because I was so scared that I would be taken and have to go live away from my family. And something happens when you're taken, like you forget your earthly life and to help you yeah, be present, I suppose. But I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want <laughs> But I kind of well, like stopped. I was like, oh, they definitely have not come for me. I've been worshiping the stars for a long time. <laughs> I tell them all my secrets when I'm out there too. They must think I'm insane. <laughs> I, I know. That's, and then so, and it's not, um, you know, only Western science calls that anthropomorphism and Western science is a very small subculture of the world's cultures. And so most of the world's cultures anthropomorphize their animals and their celestial beings mm-hmm. and all of that, the trees, so I don't know. I guess that's a that's a, that's a much funner culture to live in, isn't it? It is. I like my perspective and I'm so grateful that I was born indigenous and I can see the world through my indigenous brain now. Took me a little while to get here, a little bit of a, a hiccup as a younger person, getting caught up with drugs and alcohol for a long time, but really really clarifying the view. And now that I'm seeing like this for you know, the rest of my life. I'm really not committed, but I I do want to point out to people who are culturally appropriating in the most graceful way Mm -hmm. that what they're doing is not exactly the good vibes, quote unquote, that they think that they're doing. Not to school them, but just to just to tell them that we are actually still here. And we're actually indigenous. And what you're doing is kind of giving cringe dress up vibes to put yes, it in their terms, yes. you know, like well, it's really like, yikes. That brings up headdresses <laughs> like that. I think that is what, you know, those dream catchers, headdresses. And teepees are like the teepees. most repeat offenders. 
right? Are the offensive offenses. And you know, I just saw Miley Cyrus. Um, she's, she just came out with an article today or yesterday that she was singing into a mic and she had her arm up so you can see kind of like her side and her rib cage. On her rib cage, she has a dream catcher um, tattoo. Yeah. And I think I remember at one point um, her dad said that he was Cherokee. I don't know if the Cherokee Nation ever confirmed that he was Cherokee, but I know even before cultural appropriation and appropriation, did I say acculturation? <laughs> uh, cultural <laughs> appropriation was a thing. I remember seeing something like her 12th birthday party. This is a long time ago. And her mom and dad threw her a birthday party and had teepees in the backyard. And they were not like real teepees and Cherokee people didn't use teepees. They lived in houses and mounds. They were a mound. They come from the mound area down in, um, what's that? Tennessee. That, yeah, that dirty South area where we I've just, seen the mounds with my own yeah, eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Atlanta, Georgia area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those are mound people and, and they built like, you know, kind of those East coast Indians all build houses in mounds and, and it is their ancient culture, I believe. But I'm not the expert on that. And I don't know much about that. And I don't feel ashamed being an indigenous person in an educational organization saying I don't know much about the East Coast Indians because I'm not there and I'm Blackfoot. And I focused most of my life in education on Blackfoot culture because I've I feel like it's it's an urgency. It's disappearing from the world and and we have enrollment problems and descendancy problems. And so out of all of the world's cultures, I've really limited myself and put on my blindfolders to other cultures for that reason. But I'm not scared to say I don't know about other cultures. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to steal, but it gets brought up when I see those headdresses. Think about rap music. Think about teepees being stolen, teepees right. being sold and moccasins, like plain style moccasins being sold on Route 66. And yeah, so like it's kind of embarrassing. Like if I'm a Blackfoot Indian and I have a dream catcher tattooed on me, I would say I'm a little bit lost. Like that's not the right symbol to have on me. <laughs> the way you said it, I'm a little bit lost. I'm a little bit lost. Yeah. That is like, freaking hilarious. It's yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it because they have no idea. Yeah. So you can't just steal another symbol from a, a tribe and say, oh, this is pretty. It would be like and if it, I got it means a, so a much Mayan. To me. Yeah. Like imagine if I got a Mayan temple tattooed on me. Oh, Whoa. Weird. <laughs> like, have you been there? Did you have a significant other or like a child? I could think in my head that uh, I could process that I would get a other tribal symbol for the sake of my son to feel like like I'm proud of him right like a Hopi symbol or an Onondaga symbol and those wouldn't be my tribe but I would want him to know that I as his Blackfoot mother support that part of him totally and so and then I would have to face call out of like you're Blackfoot but you have a wampum belt tattooed on you or and and I'd have to say my son yeah yeah that's I think that's beautiful so, yeah, and there might be a there might be a certain spirit that he embodies that is one of those cultures that 
that he really attaches to over his life. And so I don't know if he will attach to Blackfoot culture or or Hopi culture or Onondaga culture, but I want him to know at this point in his life that I support all of those cultures. And he knows that I even support his hillbilly culture. We joke about that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, Hope, uh, Hopi and Onondagas, they, they're like corn people. Like, so you can, we'll do corn tortillas. We'll like make some corn, stuff like that. Blackfoot were Buffalo people. And, and he's like, and he chimes in cause he knows. And he's like, and my hillbilly side is my chicken wings. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so cute. And chicken wings are pretty hillbilly, aren't they? They truly are. Especially the ones that you buy frozen <laughs> and make yourself. <laughs> With tater tots. <laughs> With tater tots. Yes. So it's cute. <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, I think there's a way that we can, you know, share cultures and yeah. appreciate cultures without exploiting and further oppressing already impoverished people. Thanks for checking out the Indigenous Vision podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. We are an educational nonprofit based out of Arizona in Montana, and this is our official podcast. This is just one of the projects that we do have going on. If you would like to explore more of what we do, visit our website, indigenousvision.org. You can also sign up for our cultural humility training that's coming up this October 17th. All are welcome to attend. Again, thank you for listening to the IV podcast.